The following is a recording of the Thomas Paine Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. We are located in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. We are also located on the web at www.tpuuf.org. Please come visit us. I am Mandy Lee Garofalo. I use she, her pronouns, and I'd like to welcome you to Bucksmont Unitarian Universalist Fellowship's multi-platform worship. We're moved by love of growth, wonder, and healing. ...in society and spirit, creating a community of justice and compassion. I'd like to give a welcome to everyone joining us online and in person today, friends, members, and those who may be newcomers to our community this morning. As we begin our service, please take a moment to silence your cell phones. Today, we are joined by Donna Harris from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Delaware County. She is the director of Intercultural Counseling, LLC, where her therapeutic approach is relational with attention given to the impact of systemic and personal racism and oppression. She founded the Intercultural Network, LLC, to address the needs of organizations to become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. If you are new to Bucksmont and visiting us in person today, please stop by our visitor center in the front hallway near where you came in. There you can also make a name tag for yourself and find more information about Unitarian Universalism, Bucksmont Fellowship, and upcoming events. If you'd like a hymnal or a printed order of service, those are available near the entrance to the sanctuary. If you are visiting us online or prefer digital methods, please email our office administrator, Beverly, to sign up for our email newsletter and to get connected to our congregation. You may also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at BucksmontUU. Each week in our service, we offer time for people to share a joy or sorrow from their lives by texting a phone number. That number is shared on screen for everyone now and will be again later in the service. If you would like to see the order of service, details about upcoming services, and other ways to gather with our community, you can find that on the homepage of our website, www.bucksmontuu.org. There is a lot happening at Bucksmont, and we'd like to highlight these announcements in particular. Thank you to everyone who has pledged their support of the 2024 pledge campaign. If you haven't yet done so, please make your pledge by accessing our website or send a check with your pledge amount to our stewardship treasurer. You can also deposit your check in the green box in the social hall. The conversation has begun, but you can still join Reverend Kevin in conversation about the Wheel of Time, a sacred text that began on February 14th. Our next meeting will be on Wednesday, February 21st, open to members and anyone curious. See this Friday's e-voice or talk to Reverend Kevin to find out more. Save the date for an end-of-life planning seminar. On Sunday, February 25th, from 1 to 3 p.m., we will have multiple topics covering cremation, wills, and memorial planning. Check the e-voice for more details. Whether you're a guest, friend, or member, we are glad you are part of our worship service today. We will now see a stewardship video. Hello, my name is Ruth Ashman, and I have been a member and friend of the Bucksmont Unitarian Universalist Fellowship for more than 20 years, almost as long as I have lived. One of the reasons that I came to Bucksmont after 9-11 was to explore the things that were going on in the world. What I found here was that the principles that Bucksmont and Unitarianism purport are things that I can really live with. I believe in the inherent dignity and worth of every human being. I believe in justice for all people the acceptance of one another, and I believe in a free and responsible search for truth. And that responsible search for truth is one of the things that has kept me coming because my faith is always evolving. Each and every time I talk to other people, I read, I listen, 
I listen to a sermon, I realize that I am evolving and my faith is evolving. It is not static. In addition to the principles which I fully believe in, I enjoy the community and like-minded people that I find here. I have found over the years that none of us believe the same things, but we are all accepting of everyone else. So someone might be a pagan, someone might be a Christian, someone might be a humanist, but we are all here together in, search, in a searching community for truth. When you walk through the storm, hold your head up high, and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm is a golden sky, and the sweet silver song of a lark. <clears throat> walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk As we gather in our sanctuary, in our homes, or watch from mobile screens almost anywhere, we are all together. Those watching now on Sunday, and those who may be watching months from now, we are joined together for worship across both space and time. This is the free, creedless, religious congregation in the discipline of truth and the spirit of universal kinship. We join together in a cooperative quest for religious and ethical values, seeking to apply these values to the development of character, the enrichment of the spirit, and service to all. You are welcome here. Whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever the color of your skin or your country of origin, no matter your gender expression or gender identity, whatever your age, however you define family, Whatever you are, wherever you are at this time, and whatever the source of your faith, you are welcome here. This morning, as we do each time we gather, we kindle our Unitarian Universalist chalice. We do so today with words from Julian Lepp. We seek our place in the world and the answers to our heart's deep questions. As we seek, may, we, may our hearts be open to unexpected answers. May the light of our chalice remind us that this is a community of warmth, of wisdom, and welcoming of many truths. Please light your chalice at home. Our common chalice is now lit. Good morning. My name is Jennifer Worthington and I use she, her pronouns. Please join us in singing 
hymn number 1008 from the Teal Hymnal, When Our Heart is in a Holy Place. And please rise as you are willing and able. <coughs> <coughs> When our heart is in a holy place, when our heart is in a holy place, we are blessed with love and amazing grace. When our heart is in a holy place, when the truth of wisdom in each of us, every color, every creed and kind, and we see other's eyes then our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place we are blessed with love and amazing grace when our heart is in a holy place when we tell our story from deep inside and we listen with a loving mind and we hear our voices in each other's words then our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place we are blessed with love and amazing grace when our heart is in a holy place when we share the silence of sacred space and the god of our hearts stirs within and we feel the power of each other's faith then our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place we are blessed with love and amazing grace when our heart is in a holy place when our heart is in a holy place It's time for all ages, everyone. Feel free to come up if you're young or young at heart. My name is Melissa Sperringer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at Bucksmont. Today, we're going to be reading a story called Each Kindness. Can everyone see okay? Yeah, okay. That winter, snow fell on everything, turning the world a brilliant white. One morning, as we settled into our seats, the classroom door opened and the principal came in. She had a girl with her and she said to us, this is Maya. Maya looked down at the floor. I think I heard her whisper, hello. We all stared at her. Her coat was open and the clothes beneath it looked old and ragged. Her shoes were spring shoes, not meant for the snow. A strap on one of them had broken. Our teacher, Miss Albert, said, say good morning to our new student. But most of us were silent. The only empty seat was next to me. That's where our teacher put Maya. And on that first day, Maya turned to me and smiled. But I didn't smile back. I moved my chair, myself, and my books a little further away from her. When she looked my way, I turned to the window and stared at the snow. And every day after that, when Maya came into the classroom, I looked away and didn't smile back. My best friends that year were Kendra and Sophie. At lunchtime, we walked around the schoolyard, our fingers laced together, whispering secrets into each other's ears. One day, while we were near the slide, Maya came over to us. She held open her hand to show us the shiny jacks and the tiny red ball she had gotten for her birthday. It's a high bouncer, she said but none of us wanted to play. So Maya played a game against herself. That afternoon when we got back into the classroom, Maya whispered to me, 
bet you can't guess who the new Jack's champion of the world is. Behind me, Andrew whispered, Chloe's got a new friend, Chloe's got a new friend. She's not my friend, I whispered back. The weeks passed. Every day we whispered about Maya, laughing at her clothes, her shoes, the strange food she brought for lunch. Some days, Maya held out her hand to show us what she had brought to school. A deck of cards, pickup sticks, a small tattered doll. Whenever she asked us to play, we said no. Is anyone feeling sad for Maya? Yeah, poor Maya, right? The days grew warmer and warmer. The pond thawed. Grass began growing where the snow had once been. One day, Maya came to school wearing a pretty dress and fancy shoes. But the shoes and the dress looked like they had belonged to another girl before Maya. I have a new name for her, Kendra whispered. Never knew. Everything she has comes from a secondhand store. We all laughed. Maya stood by the fence. She was holding a jump rope, but did not come over to ask, ask us if we wanted to play. After a while, she folded it double, rolled the ends around each hand, and started jumping. She jumped around the whole schoolyard without stopping. She didn't look up once, just jumped, jumped, and jumped. The next day, Maya's seat was empty. In class that morning, we were talking about kindness. Miss Albert had brought in a big bowl into class and filled it with water. We all gathered around her desk and watched her drop a small stone into it. Tiny waves rippled out away from the stone. This is what kindness does, Miss Albert said. Each little thing we does goes out like a ripple into the world. Then Miss Albert let us each drop a stone in as we told her what kind things we had done. Joseph had held the door for his grandmother. Kendra helped change her baby brother's diaper. Even mean old Andrew had done something. I carry teacher's books up the stairs, he said, and Miss Albert said it was true. I stood there holding Miss Albert's rock in my hand, silent. Even small things count, Miss Albert said gently, but I couldn't think of anything and passed the stone on. Maya didn't come to school the next day, or the day after that. Each morning I walked to school slowly, hoping this would be the day Maya returned and she'd look at me and smile. I promised myself that this would be the day I smiled back. Each kindness, Miss Albert had said, makes the whole world a little bit better. But Maya's seat remained empty, and one day Miss Albert announced to the class that Maya wouldn't be coming back. Her family had to move away, Miss Albert said. Then she told us to take out our notebooks. It was time for spelling. That afternoon, I walked home alone. When I reached the pond, my throat filled with all the things I wished I would have said to Maya, each kindness I had never shown. I threw small stones into it over and over, watching the way the water rippled out and away, out and away, like each kindness done and not done like every girl somewhere holding a small gift out to someone and that someone turning away from it. I watched the water ripple as the sun set through the maples and the chance of kindness with Maya becoming more and more forever gone. The end. So I know this was a little bit of a different book than we normally read up here. I think it kind of makes you feel some feelings in your heart, maybe some feelings of sadness, maybe thinking about times that you weren't especially kind. Yeah, so things like this happen sometimes where we aren't our kindest selves. And we have to try and remember that there's always another opportunity to try again and to try and not lose the opportunities as they open up to us of always being kind because our kindness does ripple out. All right, <laughs> we have a <laughs> happening right up front. All right, let's go downstairs for religious education, everyone. As you go on your way, may you be filled with gladness. Go in joy, go in joy. May fortune bless your day with peace and loving kindness. Go in love. 
go in love. May you go on your way. May you be filled with gladness. Go in joy. Go in joy. May fortune bless your day with peace and loving kindness. Go in love. Go in love. The offering in liberal religion is a vital part of our history of faith. As a covenanted community, people who freely choose to be here, our voluntary giving is symbolic of that freedom of choice. Each week at Bucksmont, we share our offering with a different cause or organization in the community. For the month of February, we are sharing with Bucksmont Meals on Wheels, a volunteer-run organization which delivers hot and cold meals to residents throughout Hapero, Horsham, Warminster, and Upper Moreland communities who are otherwise unable to provide for themselves. We ask that you participate in our morning offering in one of these ways. You can write out a check to Bucksmont and mail it into the fellowship. You may donate online now or at the end of our worship service, or you may play, or you may place your donation into one of the baskets as they are passed. We will now receive the morning offering. My romance doesn't have to have a moon in the sky. My romance doesn't need a blue lagoon standing by no month. Twinkling stars, no hideaway, no soft guitars. My romance doesn't need a nor a dance to a constantly surprising refrain wide awake i can make my most fantastic dreams come true my doesn't need a thing but you My romance doesn't need a castle rising in Spain, nor a dance to a constantly surprising refrain. Wide I can make my most fantastic dreams come true. My romance doesn't need a thing but you.
Our community continues to grow and thrive due to generous donations of both time and money. For the many ways that you contribute and how it sustains this fellowship, we are truly grateful. This morning's reading is Good Intentions and Incomplete Efforts by Sean Parker Dennison. He begins with a quote from Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. If we are devoid of the power to forgive, we are devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. I've been doing a lot of guest preaching lately, and it's always a little awkward. I often don't know how the congregation is used to doing things. Recently, I've tripped on my robe, forgotten to extinguish the chalice, called someone by the wrong name, and gave the wrong musician the head nod to cue them the anthem. Oops. Sometimes I feel embarrassed by my mistakes, but all in all, they are all relatively small things, except one. I preached recently in a building that was a beautiful old chapel in the country. Because it was old, it was one of those buildings where accessibility was a challenge. The congregation had just finished, I think the paint was still wet, installing an accessible entrance and bathroom. They'd installed a small elevator before that. They were understandably and appropriately proud, and I was enthusiastic in my gratitude as they showed me the improvements. Then they took me upstairs to the worship space and showed me the pulpit, which was up four steps on the chancel. Those steps were not a barrier for me, but they would be for others. And we'd just been celebrating the good work in making the rest of the building accessible. And I choked. I stammered out something like, too bad those stairs are there, which was neither very polite nor very helpful in reminding them that there was still work to be done. And then I preached from their pulpit, even though it was inaccessible, and even though I have a commitment to preach only from an accessible place in the room. In this case, that would have just meant preaching from the floor rather than going up the steps to the pulpit. The hardest times to hold ourselves and each other accountable compassionately is when the work has begun, but there's more to be done. We want to acknowledge the effort, and it feels a little awkward to say, what a great start. You did something great, but you're not quite there. And sometimes, when we're the ones who have begun to change, it's hard to hear, I'm still going to preach from the floor since not everyone can access your pulpit. And yet, as Dr. King says, we have to grapple with our incompleteness. We have to understand that we, like everyone else, are always going to be a mix of good intentions and incomplete effort, good results, and some things that don't turn out that well. And yes, even good and evil. We are sometimes selfish, sometimes complicit with systems that do harm, sometimes the cause of pain and injustice. Until we can hold compassion for ourselves and others, until we can be forgiving when we fall short, our love is incomplete. Thank you so much for inviting me here to speak today. But before I start, I, I just have to get something off my chest. You're all biased. Me too. Every single person in this room has biases. They may be the same as mine or different, but we're all biased. And that's because of the experiences we've had, where we live, how we've grown up, maybe even because of the media, because the media does influence us, right? Yeah. I don't see anyone agreeing with me, so let's, let's think of some scenarios. <laughs> let's think. Um, have you ever been surprised in a medical setting, maybe you're in the hospital or something like that, and you see a male identified person come in and um, you make the mistake of assuming that that's the doctor and actually it's the nurse. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> 
Perhaps like me, you've caught yourself um, making disparaging remarks about a particular driver from a particular state. <clears throat> or of a certain gender. Worse still, you might hold biases about people from your own community, about people who look like you. I've been known to jokingly refer to you, you time. At this point, you may be wondering why on earth is she talking about this? Why am I talking about biases? Why was I invited here to talk about this subject? when really uh, we're talking about our UU values and living our Unitarian Universalist values. Well, biases can get in the way of that, don't you think? Hmm, mm-hmm. We can be oblivious though to the impact of our biases, to the impact on other people and how that might hinder our ability to live out our UU principles and values, such as, for instance, believing in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Not to mention getting in the way of justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. So here's some background about what's really going on, okay? Um, at any given moment, you are faced with millions of pieces of information. And our brains, it has the terrible job of having to process all of these bits of information. But our brain is really, really very clever, right? And it manages to do this minute by minute, day by day, and it's called pattern recognition, right? That's what our brain is doing on an ongoing basis. It starts to analyze information it's taking in um, in order to make sense of it, right? We have to make sense of our lives and what's going on around us. And as it's doing this, it's searching for memory to assess whether or not this particular thing makes sense. You know, have I seen it before? Where? How does it fit into the grand scheme of things? If you've seen it before, your brain decides whether it's similar or not to some particular situation and it categorizes it, right? And it looks to validate it, to make sense out of it, and then draws some conclusion based on that information. And it does all of this in a microsecond, right? The way I'm explaining it sounds like it takes two hours, but it's really, really very, very fast. And it's without your awareness, right? We don't know that our brain is doing this. We are making assumptions all the time based on that process. Right. And in addition, we're socialized by our families, society, our school, community, and as I said before, the media. Right. So just in case you know, you're, you're not too sure about that media piece, let's think about commercials, okay? Um, how many of you have heard a commercial repeated so often that you automatically make an association with a product? Yeah, okay, I see some hands there, some nodding, good. Well, let's just test that theory out a little bit. You can, I'm gonna give you permission to call out now. You don't have to be silent. So what do you think of when you hear two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun? Right, okay, good. How about plop, plop, fizz, fizz? You're showing your age now. Okay, a little bit more recent. Um, how about the quicker picker-upper? You are a marketing firm's dream. Congratulations on that. So your brain is making all of these decisions and these decisions really are to protect you, right? It relies on past experiences to assess the situations that we're in and to make sense out of things when there's a lack of information. Have you ever read something that is misspelled or that's missing a word? Yeah, 
And have you noticed that you automatically make sense of it, like you insert that word? This is why editing is so difficult, especially of your own work, because we automatically just drop it in. We don't see that the word is misspelled. We auto-correct. And there's a word for that. It's called automat automaticity. And when that's happening, you've really experienced your automatic, implicit, and unconscious brain overriding your conscious intentions. So what does that have to do with bias? And with creating inclusive communities? Well, it has everything to do with that. What do you think happens when the brain is doing all of that work, right? And it's scanning for a pattern that it recognizes and it doesn't have any relevant information. What happens then? So this is when, for instance, you see something unusual, it doesn't make sense, you've never seen it before, and you have no frame of reference. Or when our frame of reference contains some stereotypical or biased information, even when we are well-intentioned. Well, when there's a war between our unconscious brain and our conscious brain, the unconscious brain tends to win. You know, information that we've had before or associations that we've made before without even being aware of it. And the reason for this is actually protective, right? Our brain is trying to assess if the situation is dangerous or not. Do we need to avoid it? And that part of your brain doing that work is the amygdala. Now, it's the same part that decides whether you fight or flight or fly out. Um, so, here's an example of this, all right? So when you're on autopilot, let's say you have, I don't have one of these, but let's say you have an electric stove top. Mine tends to be gas, but so it wouldn't work, this example would not work for me. But let's say you're cleaning, you know, your electric stove top. Well, when your mind's on autopilot, you, you start to clean and so forth, and you're not thinking about necessarily what you're doing, but really what has happened in that period of time is you've probably moved your hand to sense whether or not the pilots are still, whether or not the surface is warm, right? You don't think about that every time you go to clean your stove. You know, so let me test this out. You just do it. So our brain is taking in all the stimuli that we have and it sorts it into categories. If it's a rectangular thing that makes a sound, it's a cell phone. When I was a kid, that it might have been something else. It might have been, I don't know, a pager or a radio, a transistor, transistor radio, see, <laughs> of some kind because there were no cell phones. But now, you know, I know what to do with something like that when it rings. I answer it. My brain has that knowledge. It categorizes it as a phone. You know, I know what I'm supposed to do. What I associated as a phone when I was a child no longer applies because there's no cord attached to it. Um, it doesn't come in the shape of a princess phone or anything like that. In fact, one of my friends who's studying ASL told me that nowadays the field is debating whether or not to change the sign for phone, you know, which is kind of like this. <laughs> That's an old-fashioned phone, so it doesn't work for cell phones. So they're, they're debating whether or not that should be changed. <laughs> so going back to our brain, the amygdala is the portion of the brain uh, that reacts to fear. And knowing this, we have a very powerful aspect of our brain that we can easily imagine um, it working into categorizing all of these things and all these associations with people and deciding whether or not they're good, bad, indifferent, and so forth. And we have associations to people, people's ages, children, old, young, people's colors, um, people's religions. There's lots of associations there. They can be positive associations, negative, in between, you know, but we're categorizing things all the time. That's what we do as humans. Our brain's automatic functioning makes it challenging for us to be aware of everything at once. What we notice is often linked with our expectations 
and what we choose to attend to, or what we desire to be true. Sociologists and psychologists call this selective attention, which brings me back to the notion of bias. Okay, so when I'm in the store, in the supermarket, walking down the aisle, and my hand goes to, oh, let's say, pick up Tide. I promise I wasn't paid by Procter & Gamble or whoever. Um, I might actually have a preference for that at this age. You know, I might have actually experimented with that. But early on, I can assure you, I didn't really think about it too much. I didn't read articles on Tide or anything. I just grabbed the detergent, probably informed by whatever my family used. Right? It wasn't a, I didn't go out and research it. Right? So that's an implicit decision. I had an implicit bias to buying Tide, for instance. Um, so implicit bias is not something that we're attending to. Right? It's unconscious. We also have explicit biases. Those are much more direct. We're aware of them. Um, I like Mexican people better than French people would be an explicit bias. Don't say that Donna said she likes me. This is an example. <clears throat> and also, explicit biases often also start with the idea of uh, anytime someone uses a sentence like, I don't mean to offend, but. And then they proceed to offend you, you know. Uh, right, so usually that's an explicit bias as well. Um, but implicit biases, people are not aware of what they're doing, but they're doing things that impact others. My husband and I used to have a black lab when we lived in New York. It's a mix of lab and German Shepherd. And this dog, big dog, you know, had ears and the whole thing. And the, anyone who knows anything about dogs, if you saw this dog, you know, he's walking down the street, going, <laughs> you know, and the tail's shaking and everything. But what would happen, what we began to notice, and it didn't matter who was walking the dog, right? I'm a black person, my husband happens to be white, didn't matter which one, but we were walking the dog and people would automatically cross the street, right? Just, and, and we began to, we, we, this was a topic of conversation, like why are they crossing the street? Um, but they had this implicit bias because they thought that they should be fearful of a black dog, right? unconscious, completely unconscious, but automatic. The same thing happens when people clutch their purses when they see someone unfamiliar or they're in an unfamiliar neighborhood. Our cars didn't used to lock on their own. We used to actually have to do that. So, you know, people would find themselves, I have found myself doing this as well, driving through a particular neighborhood and locking all the doors. Why? Implicit bias. So we're not always evaluating why we're doing things, right? Implicit bias plays a great part in many of the things that we do, many of our behaviors and so forth. There's an automatic association with stereotypes and attitudes with a particular group or its members. We talk about implicit, when we talk about implicit bias, we're talking about associations that people don't know that they're making. They don't know that they have. We can have positive stereotypes and negative attitudes. For example, the notion of the model minority associated with Asian people is, on the one hand, it's, at first glance, it seems positive. But I can assure you it has many negative effects in terms of the expectations that people and Asian people themselves have you know, in terms of performance. This happens also, think about the elderly, right? I'm looking around the room, a lot of people with white hair like me. Um, there are a lot of associations that go into what we think about people of a certain age. And oftentimes it has to do not just with their ability, their physical ability, but oftentimes um, what's projected is this, this attitude of incompetence. Right? People have this unconscious association that as we get older, we become less competent and somehow less intelligent or, you know. Uh, you might even notice, uh, for instance, when an older person goes to the doctor with a companion who's younger, oftentimes the doctor will speak to the companion and not the person who's there seeking treatment. 
Now, if that is an implicit bias at play, I don't know what is, right? We assume that older people can't do things. We also notice that stereotypes and biases we have can deeply affect, oh, I'm sorry, we also know I know um, that stereotypes and biases we have can deeply affect policies and institutions. Implicit bias is manifested verbally and in terms of nonverbal behavior. People can sense these nonverbal cues, which you might refer to as body language. You may be wondering how implicit bias can play out in a church, for instance. What does that look like? Well, as a black UU, I am painfully aware of the lack of people who look like me in our UU congregations and in our association at large. I'm also aware of how people behave when I visit. Not here. <laughs> I think of my own congregation in its desire to become more diverse and inclusive and in their hunger when they see someone different. And the way this is manifested is when people visit our church who may look like me or may have brown skin or just look different, um, people are so eager to welcome them that they swoop down on the visitor, practically smothering them, and it can be quite an overwhelming experience in spite of the well-intentionedness behind that behavior. It's also othering when you do that, because on some level you're, you're identifying the person as exotic. However you might want to be around them, it's still othering. So think about those experiences a little bit and what they mean and whatever you're associating in terms of stereotypes. The other thing that's happened in my congregation is people know me. I've been there for 20 years, you know, so people know who I am. I've been in many leadership positions and so forth. Um, and when I was worship associate, I was <laughs> talking about the idea of color blindness. Right? That's when people say, I don't see color. Everyone's the same. Um, and on the one hand, it's kind of like the model minority. On the one hand, there's a positive piece to that, like I'm not discriminating against you based on some aspect of your identity. But on the other hand, it's a little strange for people to say to me, because friends in my congregation have said, Donna, I don't think of you as a black person. And it's like, oh, okay, how do you think of me? <laughs> you know, what comes to mind? Because when I see myself, that's, that's pretty obvious. But you know what they meant by that was, I accept you. I accept you, you're one of us. Well, you know, that's a little tricky. It's like I want to be one of you, but at the same time, I also want you to see that I move through the world differently. There's a wonderful TED talk by Werner, Verna Myers, um, and she defines biases as the stories we make up about people before we know who they actually are, which I love. I love that def definition. She also asks us to think about who we trust, who we're afraid of, and why how many authentic relationships we have with young people, with older people, with people of color, with people who may be different in some way. A recent study found that 75% of white Americans have entirely white social networks. And this is not exclusive to Montgomery County, right? This is a national um, study. And this is an experience that results in exaggerated perceptions of difference because if you are only around people who look like you, you make assumptions about other people. So what are we gonna do about this? All right. Some ways to mitigate bias is, very obviously at the individual level, to become more aware of our biases, right? 
So becoming consciously aware of our personal biases by asking ourselves about what choices we're making, what neighborhoods we live in, what food we eat, the people that we hang out with, and who we invite to dinner um, can be very helpful. Just becoming aware of that. You don't even have to do anything about it, but the awareness in and of itself will have an impact. We can also promote individuation, and what I mean about that is recognizing that we're not alone. There are many differences out in the world, um, and we are not all the same, so avoiding this colorblindness. We can also promote empathetic perspective taking, meaning trying to walk in someone else's shoes. Right? But you can only do that if you're interacting with other people. We can also promote interracial and interethnic engagement. That's why you have me here today. <laughs> and by getting out into the world and interacting with people who don't look like you and don't speak the same language and so forth. At the institutional level, well, you can do a cultural audit which has to do with examining hiring practices, recruitment, all of that, and physical environment, websites, social media presence, and so forth. You can explore what implicit and explicit bias looks like at Buxmont, and this includes who feels welcome and why. You know, what images and policies say about the congregation, for instance. For instance, I noticed um, when I looked, because I always check out where I'm going, right? behind the scenes. Now, when I looked at your, your website and read about Buxmont, I, I took it in and noticed that you hadn't adopted the eighth principle, which just caused me to wonder. You can promote counter-stereotypic images. For instance, you know what I said before about the male nurse, you know, you can have images, which you probably do in terms of um, reading and things like that in your library. You can question and doubt the idea of objectivity because I can assure you most of us are highly subjective, not objective. We see things through our own cultural lens which is highly subjective. Right? And you can consult outsiders. You can understand what that diversity in organization makes us smarter, more innovative, and promotes better critical thinking. The other thing that we can do are things like joining me in a training on March 19th. March 9th? 9th, I'm sorry. We show up on the 9th. It says March 9th here too. See, this is, I, I changed it. There must be some unconscious desire for me to postpone, yes. <laughs> so joining us for a training on March 9th, and you can find more information on that in the e-voice. Okay, because we'll be talking more about this. I really want people to understand that it's not in a 15 or 20 minute talk like this that you're going to change your behaviors and how bias manifests itself in your lives. This is just a little drop in the bucket to um, encourage awareness. And of course, in addition to attending the training on March 9th, I am available for dinner. <laughs> Blessed be. Okay. So we are going to do the hymn number 1009, Meditation on Breathing. And so what we're going to do today, we'll do it all together. We're all pretty familiar with it, I think. So we'll do it all together, and then we'll section off in rounds. So section one, section two, section three, a couple of times, and then we'll come back to the breathe in, breathe out as we finish, okay? <clears throat>
I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe. Section one, when I breathe I breathe in peace when I breathe out. I breathe out love when I breathe in. I breathe in peace when I breathe out. I breathe out. Now you go up and in. I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. Section three. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out. I breathe out love when I breathe in. I breathe in peace when I breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Let us now enter into a time of awareness within ourselves and our connection beyond boundaries, connection to one another, to that interdependent web of life of which we are but one small thread. As we breathe in, we are connected. As we breathe out, we are connected. This is a prayer for these times by Kenneth Langer. Let me find peace within so that I may claim, so that I may be calm throughout. Let me find silence within so that I may find compassion throughout. Let me be reminded that some things are worth waiting for. Let me be reminded that the journey is more important than re reaching the destination. Let me see that the non-doing is as much a part of life as the doing. Let me be reminded it is in these moments of holding on that I can find quietude and renewal. It is within these times of inaction that I can find rest. It is in these times of emptiness that I can become full. As a part of our caring outreach to one another, we set aside a few moments to note both sorrows and joys in our lives. 
In these moments of peace and reflection, we turn our attention to one another. We hold each and all in our compassionate thoughts and the prayers of our hearts. This morning, we are lighting candles to mark the important moments in our lives. Each candle adds to the collective light of the community, a place that also holds the memories of those who have gone before and anticipates those who have yet to arrive. And now we will light a final candle for all the joys and sorrows that remain unspoken and deep within our hearts. With words spoken and candles lit, we honor our joys and our sorrows, those shared this morning and the many more that exist beyond words. Through our time together, our relationships are deepened and our community made whole. Please join us in singing our final hymn, number 121, We'll Build a Land. You may rise as you are willing and able. We'll build a land where we bind up the broken. We'll build a land where the captives go free, where the whole of gladness dissolves all mourning. Oh, we'll build a promised land that can be. Come build a land where sisters and brothers, anointed by God, we then create peace. Justice shall roll down like waters and peace like an ever-flowing stream. We'll build a land where we bring the good tidings to all the afflicted and all those who mourn, where the given garlands instead of ashes oh, where peace is born. Come build a land where sisters and brothers anointed by God may then create peace where justice shall roll down like waters and peace like an ever-flowing stream. We'll build a land, building up ancient cities, raising up devastations from old, restoring the ruins of generations. Oh, we'll build a land of people so bold. Come build a land where sisters and brothers anointed by God may then create peace where justice shall roll down like waters and peace like an ever-flowing stream. Come build a land where the mantles of praises resound from the spirits it's one been once weak where like oaks of righteousness stand her people oh come build a land my people we seek come build a land where sisters and brothers anointed by god may then create peace where justice shall and peace like an ever-flowing stream. Our chalice extinguishing words this morning are from Krista Tavis. It is the work shared with each other in covenant that creates and sustains this beloved community. We extinguish this chalice, but the light lives on. 
In the directions we have chosen today, the light of this faith lives on in us together, in our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and spirits. For those of you who come here seeking God, may God go with you. For those who come embracing life, may life return your affection. And for those who come to seek a path, may a way be found and the courage to take it. Blessed be.